Good morning. If you would uh, turn to chapter 15, we're going to read 15 and 16. The message will be focused on chapter 16 this morning. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oban, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without a true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. And they were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oban, he took courage and put away the detestable items, idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken from the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule, the house of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing them. For great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with them. They were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. They sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil they had brought, seven hundred oxen and seven thousand sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart, with all their soul. But whosoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, shall be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice, and with shouting, and with trumpets, and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart, and sought him with their whole desire. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Even Micah, his mother, King Asa, removed from the queen mother, because she had made detestable images from Asherah. Asa cut down her images, and crushed it, and burned it at the brook at Kedron. But the high places were not taken out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all of his days. And he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. And there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went out against Judah and built up Ramah, that he might permit no one to go or come in to King Asa of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadon, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent to the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ijon, Dan, Abomam, and the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timbers with which Basha had been building. And with them he built Geba and Mitzvah. At that time, Hanai the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Assyria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. 
Were not the Ethiopians and Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth and give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this. From now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflict cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. The acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the thirty-ninth year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the forty-first year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. And they laid him on a bar that had been filled with various kinds of spices, prepared by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honor. may be seated. Hey, before we look into God's word this morning together, I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer and ask the Lord, as we sang here just a moment ago, to speak through his word. Let's pray. Father, you have called us to walk with you in the days that you give to us. You've given to us everything we need, the Bible says, for godliness and for life. You've granted to us your word. You've given to us your good spirit. You've placed us in the context of your people. You've placed us in this church body for one big purpose, to exalt your name, to worship you, to give you glory all our days. Lord, I pray that you would make what we do about you. I pray, Father, that we would see that Christ is the cause for which we stand together. And in humility, I pray we would work together and spend our lives pursuing you. Father, as we conclude our study this morning from the life of Asa, I pray that you would open our eyes, each one, to the pitfalls scattered in our paths. and Help us live today in light of eternity. Teach us what it is to live for Jesus right now. And help us to anticipate the time when we shall behold him in all of his glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In my study this week, I came across a quote that seemed to jump off the page in in terms of The text in Chronicles 16 was reading a book titled Spiritual Leadership. And the subtitle of the book is Moving People Onto God's Agenda. I like the subtitle. Spiritual Leadership. What is leadership? Moving people not to do what you want them to do, but moving them onto God's agenda. Moving them into what God has in store. And the author of the book, he says... The first necessity of leadership is to keep in tune with him. The first necessity of leadership is to keep in tune with him, to keep in tune with the Lord. I believe it could also be said, not necessarily of those in leadership, but could it also be said of all of us? 
that that is a first necessity to keep in tune with our Lord. Now, most of us understand and know what it is to hear something that is out of tune. And I've got a couple exhibit A, exhibit B up here this morning. Isaac, if you would, go ahead and strum, just strum a little bit for us here. Let's hear what we've got. One more time. Okay. Does that resonate with out of tune? Out of tune. Okay, good. Let's, let's try and see if we can hear the difference between the out of tune and now the in tune. Oh, oh, that's so much better. You, you hear the difference, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. Yeah, there's, there is a difference. There's quite a big difference. Thank you, guys. You can go ahead and take a seat. Appreciate that. It is a bit painful, and I was joking a little bit with Isaac leading up to today, and you know, all you got to do is just strum an out-of-tune chord. That's all you got to do. You don't have to know how to play it at all. You just, just strum it, and uh, you can hear the difference. It's, it's quite a contrast, and you know, as, as we listen, as we hear the out-of-tune and the in-tune guitar, thinking about what it is to keep in tune with the Lord, to be in harmony with the one who's playing the melody line. Let's, let's understand something. God is the one who's always on the main line. It's our responsibility to be in harmony with what God is doing, with what he's playing, with what he's up to. You know, I'd illustrate this. I, I think the, there's an illustration here that fits quite nicely in the realm of of football, and you have a quarterback. For those of you that don't know, I'm going to describe it. The quarterback is the one who's taking the ball from the center. It's going to be snapped to him, and he's the one who's going to run the play. There are times when the quarterback is, is there behind the center, and he's got his line in front of him, and he's looking at the defense across, and he sees some particularly foreboding defensive alignment. And the quarterback, if he's done his homework, he understands that the play that was called in isn't going to work in light of the defense that they're playing. And so he does what we call an audible. He he makes an audible. He changes the play on the fly. See, an audible is this change of direction, a different play in light of the quarterback's best judgment. Dictated by what the defense is showing him. Now, I believe in football there are times when an audible may be very much needed. But I would ask this morning, church, has God called his people to audible out of what he's called them to? Are we at liberty to audible the play that's coming in from the Lord? Is it wise to wave off the word from the Lord when he speaks? See, Asa, to this point, he's been moving the Lord's objectives up the field. He's been converting third downs, if you will, moving the chains with great regularity in his life because he's been resting upon the Lord. He's been seeking the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul. Asa 
has heard from the Lord. He's walked faithfully in obedience to this point in his life. And the Lord has rewarded him with favor and with rest all around. This favor and rest. I'm not a guitar player. But it's in tune. Asa's life is in tune. Has been. As we read about Asa in chapter 14 and chapter 15, we see that Asa's life has very much been in tune to this point. And I praise the Lord that we have before us in the scripture an example of a life worth modeling. I also praise the Lord that we have chapter 16 because chapter 16 speaks, I think, in large part to the humanity of Asa. And we're going to see that. Asa was given victory, you might recall, in chapter 14 over those mighty Ethiopians. On the other side of victory, you remember, the word of God comes to Asa through the prophet Azariah. There's this warning note that sounded in chapter 15. This warning note that sounded to seek the Lord, to be strong in the Lord, Asa, all of your days. And he acts courageously upon hearing from God. Remember we talked about courageous living last week. And it's predicated upon hearing from God. We take action in light of being informed by what God has spoken. And we see that in Asa's life. The idols are gone. The direction seems to be set. For a time, rest has been showered upon Judah. But again, going back to the football illustration, the blitz is now coming in chapter 16. How's he going to respond to this situation that's before him? Will he continue to listen to the Lord calling the plays? Or will he audible and do his own thing? How's he going to respond? There's a few questions I think it's appropriate to ask you at this point. How well do you respond to challenges that come your way? We all have them, don't we? We all have challenges. Various shapes and sizes. If we remove the king position for just a moment from Asa and we boil it down to just daily living, how are you doing at walking with the Lord today? How are you doing with trusting him for your daily decision making? Are you content with God calling the shots in your life? Are you always audible ready? In other words, do you find that you're always looking for opportunities to walk your way instead of God's way? Is there a consistency of godly choices being made in your life? Have you discovered any disconnect at all between your decision making and actually taking the time to hear from God first? Having experienced, and I'm, I'm hoping and praying many of you have experienced previous victories from the Lord. Are you finding that you rely more or less upon God for daily living? You ever found yourself doing things that had no seal of the Lord's approval on it? 
Look at chapter 16, verse 1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Now, Basha is the king of Israel. Remember, we have a divided kingdom, right? Basha is king of Israel. He begins his reign in the third year of Asa's reign over Judah. Basha, according to what we know from the text, there's a, a parallel account in Kings 15. Basha reigns 24 years in Israel. So in light of that, you probably come to understand, if you look closely at this, there's some textual challenge trying to determine the actual timing of the events here in 2 Chronicles 16. Because it says, in the 36th year of the reign of Asa. Well, Basha was not around during the 36th year of Asa. If you do the math, he was only around through the 27th year of Asa. Okay? Now, there's some uncertainty on the timing here. It's not the most significant element of this text, but I mention it because it does beg a question. Basha is coming up against Judah. And what's he doing? He's building Ramah. This fortification, right? This, this city, this town. He's building Rama, And the purpose for building, we know why he's doing it. The text tells us. If you look at the text, the text tells us why he's building it. He's building it that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Now, at this point, we need to remember what we have already covered in chapter 15, verse 9. You remember in 15.9, there were people from Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon who came over from Israel to Judah in big numbers when they saw God at work in the life of Asa. So there's people from Israel and they're streaming into Judah. Guess who doesn't like that? Basha. So really, I believe what we, we can see here, that the facts at hand... If we look at chapter 1, uh, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 16. Basha's losing his people and he doesn't like it. Basha is taking action to prevent further people from leaving Israel. And Basha is taking action against Asa and Judah. He's essentially walling them in. He's keeping them where they're at and he's not letting other people go in. That's what's going on. I want you to think with me for just a moment. Asa is confronted with a decision as the king of Judah. He hears and he sees, no doubt, that Basha is fortifying right next door and intends to harm him. You're the king. Let's remove Asa for just a moment. You're the king. You've been reigning for at least 15 years. And you have seen the hand of God working mightily in your life and in the lives of those who dwell in your land. What are you going to do first in light of Basha's actions. Are you going to ignore him? Are you going to try and talk it out with him? Are you going to try to muster up your troops and just go do battle? How are you going to respond? The text tells us how Asa responded. Look at verse 2 and 3. Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the treasuries of the king's house, and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, said, let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, 
so that he will withdraw from me. Asa decides to pay off the king of Syria in an effort to get Basha, king of Israel, off his back. And I read this and I ask the question, is this the same Asa we've been reading about the last two weeks? What happened to, help us, Lord, for we rest upon you? What happened to that covenant in chapter 15 whereby they were seeking the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul? Can it be here that Asa is resorting to bribery? How is it possible that the king of Judah, whose life to this point has been a pattern for godly living, how is it that he can feel so at ease, it seems, with his decision to lifeline some old friend from Syria. Look at how his plan works out. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Aijan, Dan, Abel-Maim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took all Judah... And they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Basa had used for building. And with them, he built Geba and Mizpah. Asa looks pretty clever at this point, doesn't he? He's got to be thinking, wow, all this, all this worked out just exactly as I planned it. I was in a jam. And the Lord allowed me to escape it. And then he resourced me in the process with all of Basha's building materials. Isn't this great? See, the problem in this line of thinking is that while the Lord did allow Asa to escape trouble and to gain additional resources from Basha's unfinished project in Ramah, the Lord didn't call Asa to such a course of action. And you know, it seems like on this particular day, Asa's life is sort of out of tune. You ever been there? Your life, that last one's a good one, isn't it? Out of tune with the Lord. This man who had been walking with God now is making a decision that is leading him down a wrong path. It looks good on the outside. It was quite a success in terms of military strategy, gamesmanship. To many, Asa is just simply doing what it takes to see that, that Judah wins. Victory is Asa's. Or is it? That's an important question. Is this really, truly a victory? Church, we need to understand, Asa is a man of God. I want to keep that in perspective as we read this text. 
Look, look first of all, in this decision, look first, he's quick to lean on his wealth, isn't he? Notice he sends gold, he sends silver on ahead with the message for Ben-Hadad. Goods accompanying the bribe. Secondly, he initiates a treaty with Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. Listen, on the basis of a previous relationship, don't miss this, this is very important. He says, let there be a treaty between us as there was between my father and your father. Abijah, Asa's father, Abijah, as we've said, he he may have had, and I believe he did have, some good qualities, but he was far from a pattern for godly living. And yet the basis for Asa desiring a treaty with Ben-Hadad has to do with a relationship Abijah had with Syria. Listen, this is an important principle because we see elsewhere Joshua, he calls the people to do what? To align themselves with the God of heaven, not with the gods of their forefathers across the river. The basis for decision making today must not be built on sinking sand by means of some ungodly partnership. In hope of getting Ben-Hadad to go forward with his plans... He brings to his attention the treaty that existed between their respected fathers. What's he doing? Do you see what he's doing? He's leveraging the situation in his favor. He's doing his best to manipulate the outcome. We talked about that a little bit last week. Some of you here may be negotiating with the generations of the past. Recalling what they've done, you bring the broken generations forward to leverage them with your own situation as a look and see kind of comparison. You see, divorce may not seem so bad if that's what you've grown up and you've known and you've seen all your life. Sexual immorality may not seem that bad. Verbal abuse may not seem all that bad. It may seem like a norm. Because of the way previous generations lived among you. Worldly living may be deemed okay in light of how you were brought up to cherish things. Things were important. You see, Asa is, to use the phrase, he's going back to Egypt. When he calls upon his father's treaty with Ben-Hadad. How well did things turn out for Abijah? What's the scripture say about Abijah's life? And yet Asa is willing to call an audible and do the very thing his ungodly father did. Another thing about this decision here. Not only did he lean into the wealth on hand, but I want you to notice where this wealth is drawn from. He brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house. Asa seems okay with stewarding the Lord's funds from the Lord's house to accommodate his act of bribery. Do you see this? I can take this one step further. Whether he took the money from the Lord's house or from his personal bank account, that's not the point. The point is a matter of stewardship. The point is a matter of integrity. The point is a matter of character. All of the money at his disposal is the Lord's, amen? It's all the Lord's. 
Did you know that the Lord is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth? Deuteronomy 8.18 tells us that. You might be saying, well, I'm not very wealthy. Doesn't matter the quantity of your wealth. The Lord is the one who has given you the ability to have any income at your disposal. He's given it to you. You know, we, we know about a tithe. We've heard about a tithe, a tithe, a tenth part. But I hope we understand that it's all his money. It's not 90% from me and I'll give 10% to the Lord just because I'm going to be generous. No. You know, the sad reality is among Christians, followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, a tithe is abnormal giving. One of the last statistics I saw was 2 to 3% is what Christians give. People of God, 2 to 3%. We are managers of the money that he entrusts. 100% of what we have is his. And for the time that we're here, the time that he allows us to have this income, we are managing and stewarding his money. Now, I don't get the impression that Asa sought the Lord on this particular decision that we just read here in chapter 16, the first few verses. It seems like he saw the army advancing. He saw them making progress in their building. And he sends a team of dispatchers out on this Pony Express to get word to Ben-Hadad, hey, I need your help. I'd like you to do something for me. Notice from the text, Asa is calling Ben-Hadad to break a treaty already in place with Basha. He's calling him to break trust with someone else in order to benefit himself. You ever done that? You've asked somebody to do something that ethically may not be right there on the mark in order that it benefit you. Asa seems to be using people like pawns on a chessboard. Just moving them around at his leisure, using money as a leverage point. And once the plan is arranged, and Ben-Hadad begins attacking the northern cities of Naphtali, Basha hears about it and has to stop his work in Ramah. Ben-Hadad has to deal with the problem of Basha returning to the scene. Ben-Hadad has to deal with the messy situation of having a broken treaty. Ben-Hadad has to deal with potential casualties from his army in the battle. Asa cleans up the building materials while Basha and company leave. Asa uses the resources of wood and stone to build himself two cities of his own. Once again, I just wonder, for Asa, doesn't he not notice something is out of tune in his life? His decision-making. It's not right with the Lord. You arrive at the end of verse 6. I believe Asa 
really thinks he's victorious. I believe he really believes victory. You ever been there? You ever felt good about a situation? Felt victorious about something that you manufactured or manipulated? Ever taken pride in scheming just the right audible? I'd like you to just look with me at at a few recent events in, in Chronicles 14 and 15. Asa, remember, has finished plundering the Ethiopians and they have taken the spoils back to Jerusalem. The Lord, the text says, the Lord struck the Ethiopians and granted victory to Asa and the nation of Judah. And on the heels of that victory, the Lord sends a prophet named Azariah. His words are instructive. They're words of warning on the other side of victory. And he says, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. I'd like you just to hold those words as you read with me a second encounter from the Lord, this time through the prophet Hananiah. Look with me starting in verse 7. At that time, Hananiah the seer, the prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered you, excuse me, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars." Victory from the Lord comes at the end of 14. The word of the Lord then comes to Asa after the Lord brings him victory. Beginning of chapter 15. Victory according to Asa is seen right here in chapter 16. The word of the Lord comes once again. But this time the Lord is going to reveal to Asa what he really thinks about Asa's perceived victory. Asa is warned to stick with the Lord in chapter 15. He's reminded to seek the Lord. And the promise is that when you seek him, he will be found by you. Let's be sure, church, that we don't confuse success in the world's eyes with being found by the Lord. How often have you attached being found by the Lord to a success of your own making? Hananiah confronts Asa with some hard but necessary words. Here's the first thing he says to him. Asa, you relied on the wrong person. You called the wrong play, Asa. Because your reliance was not in the Lord God, you allowed the army of the king of Syria to escape from your hands. You missed what I had in store because you didn't seek me. You ran the wrong play, Asa. In football, it would be comparable to a guy running into the end zone, the wrong end zone. You scored, but you scored in the wrong one. Wrong play. Wrong play. 
the victory you thought you were achieving. God says to the prophet, I had a different plan. You let the army of Syria escape. The plan was to take out the enemy, not to partner and hold hands with them. Asa, you ran the wrong play. But I believe here in the text, he's also telling them, Asa, you, you must have forgotten the play. You, you don't remember the time against the Ethiopians? Remember when they came against you? Asa, there were a million men and they had these, these chariots. And they came against you. Do you remember what you did? You prayed to me. Asa, you were praying and you cried out for help. You were resting upon me, Asa. Do you remember or have you forgotten? Surely you've forgotten the play that granted you success. Asa, I was the one who struck the Ethiopians. I was the one who allowed you to take back all the plunder back to Jerusalem. Reminds me of the Deuteronomy passage, the warning, when you come into the land that I give you, and you have eaten and are full, then what? Beware. Beware lest what? Lest you forget. It seems as though Asa has forgotten. You know, one of the markers of pride is self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency doesn't just affect the individual, but all those around him. One writer says that leaders who fail to acknowledge God as the source of victory are leading people away from God and wrongfully causing the followers to misdirect their praise. You see, when the leader doesn't look to God and, and take from God that God is the one who gave us the victory, when the leader doesn't point that out, how easy it is then for the followers to do just the same. Pride can make leaders in particular think they are self-sufficient. You know, the story is told of, of the man who encountered the gifted evangelist D.L. Moody. And upon encountering Mr. Moody, he says, how glad I am to see a man that God has used to win so many souls to Christ. And in response to the man's comment, D.L. Moody Scoops some dirt off of the ground. And in response, as that dirt is going through his fingers, he says to this man, he says, there's nothing more than that to D.L. Moody, except as God used him. It's a reminder of who we are. It's a reminder that this is not about me. It's not about what I've done. It's about what the Lord has done in and through me and enabled me to have any kind of victory. James 4, 6, that God opposes the proud, but he gives what? He gives grace to the humble. Well, Asa ran the wrong play. He forgot the play that granted previous success in the eyes of the Lord. But this Lord that we serve, he is kind, he's merciful, he's gracious, he desires that we know his ways. Amen? And that's a wonderful thing. 
Even though Asa had demonstrated previous knowledge of God's ways, he reminds him once again of his objectives. He points Asa back to his game plan and lays out the kind of people he's looking for to serve him. In other words, right here in the text, he taught Asa the play once again. It says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Hanani, who's speaking on behalf of the Lord, says, Asa, the Lord is looking for loyal, committed hearts. When he delivered you from the hand of the Ethiopians, your heart was with him. He was found by you. Loyalty of heart is what is needed, Asa. And know this, the Lord whose uh, whose eyes range throughout the whole earth, this is a big God we serve. He desires to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal. See, here, here's, here it is right here. There, there's no need for audibles when the Lord is calling the plays. Isn't that wonderful? We don't need to have an audible when the Lord is the one calling the plays. When the Lord has given us his word. We sing the song all the time. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's true. Simply trust him, take him at his word, keep in step with the Holy Spirit, walk together as one body, one voice, faithfully aligning ourselves to his will. These are all principles, things found in the scripture. Maybe a question at this point, it's it's good to ask is, do you have any desire to see the Lord show himself strong in you? Do you have any desire to see that the Lord would show himself strong in you? Failure is not final, but disobedience to the Lord does oftentimes leave a mark, doesn't it? Leaves leaves a mark. It can leave a big splash. At the end of chapter 16, verse 9, Hanani says, In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you will have wars. Now, these are the last words recorded for us from Hanani the prophet. These words highlight the Lord's assessment... Of Asa's recent actions. Hanani is giving to us what God thinks about what Asa just did. You have done foolishly. And because of this, you're going to have wars. Remember, there had been some rest. There had been peace. You know, I hear these words, you have done foolishly. And, And I cringe, and I cringe. In large part, knowing that They come from the Lord's spokesman. I believe we all, each one of us in Christ, if asked what we'd like to hear from the Lord one day, we'd all say something like this. Yeah, I'd like to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Foolishly done or well done? Prideful heart? Or loyal heart? A life of audibles? Or a life of faithful obedience to the Lord and his word? Manipulating outcomes? Or relying upon the Lord to manage all of the outcomes? You see, Asa, upon 
hearing the words of Hanani the prophet, he now he has a choice to make, doesn't he? He's got a choice. He can listen and receive. He can listen and reflect. He can listen and reject. The Lord has just spoken through Hanani. There's no coincidence at work in Hanani's timing to address Asa. He shows up as a representative of the Lord to rebuke, instruct, and correct him back on that path of righteousness. Question. How do you respond when the Lord is speaking into your life through his word? How do you respond? Do you receive it? Do you reflect it? Do you push it aside? Possibly ignore it? You hear it, yeah, you just can't. Or do you entirely reject it altogether? You see, the pivotal moment between 16.9 and 16.10 is your response to the word of the Lord. It's your response to the word of the Lord. Asa has, he's just been taught once again that the Lord is searching for hearts loyal to him. And now after listening to Hanani's words, the heart is going to speak. Let's not be fooled. The heart is now speaking in Asa. The Bible says that what we speak comes out of what? Our heart. The words of our mouth come flowing out of the condition of our heart. So Asa's heart is about ready to speak. In verse 10, and it's not good. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at this time. You know, someone once said that, he says, speak when you're angry and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. We're not given the specific words from Asa. Probably a good thing. But we know from the text that he was angry at Hanani and enraged at Hanani. The text says because of this. Because of what? Because of the words from the Lord. Because of what he just spoken. Asa doesn't have ears to hear from the Lord. His prideful heart is now making him unteachable. In addition, his prideful heart leads to a loss of compassion. He takes his situation out on the people that he's supposed to be leading. And once again, we think about Ace's life. And we think about his response to the word of the Lord. His response, his decision on the backside of hearing the word of the Lord. Oh, it's out of tune. He's not willing to hear what the Lord has spoken through his prophet. Pride. Manifests itself in many ways, doesn't it? And the result is always the same, though. Destruction. The proverb writer says in 16, verse 18, that pride goes before what? Destruction. 
Listen, we need to learn from this text. Asa, as far as we can tell from the text, never recovers from this one. He, he never recovers from this incident. As far as we can tell from the text, the last remaining years of his life are lived with an angry, bitter heart. If the majority of Asa's reign is characterized by seeking the Lord, the final years of his life might be labeled as seething at the Lord. He's angry. The fellowship in the community that Asa once had with the Lord waned, and he never seemed to fully align himself under the Lord the remainder of his days. If you look at the last few verses of the text... Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients, prepared in a mixture of ointments. And they made a very great burning for him. Just a few years prior to his death, Asa has something go wrong with his feet. The text says that a severe malady. Now, I find it interesting that the disease affected his feet. You see, he'd been walking contrary to the Lord's ways. The disease brought attention to his walk. A physical trial comes, and the pattern that reared its head when Hannah and I spoke to him back in verses 7, 8, and 9, it continues to manifest itself through two feet that are painfully sore. And just as Asa sought the help of Ben-Hadad in the nation of Syria instead of the Lord, so too we see that Asa here at the end is seeking the counsel of the physicians and not the Lord. The text, I believe, is pointing to a pattern that closed the door on Asa's life. The Lord was not found. And he was not found because Asa chose not to seek him. Do you see this? He was not found because Asa chose not to seek the Lord. I want you to consider this. Here's a king who lived the majority of his days on earth seeking the Lord, reaping the rewards and benefits and pleasures of the Lord that come by way of faithful obedience. As we said earlier, Asa's life was in tune for a good majority of his life. In tune with the Lord. And yet at one pivotal moment in his life, the course of Asa's life is changed. It's changed. The heart that once was loyal to the Lord turned prideful and the close fellowship that Asa once experienced with the Lord and his people disappeared. You know, a few months ago, there was a story that came out about a group of referees. I heard about it since I'm one of those referees. It was a group of referees. I happen to know one of them. They were reprimanded a few months ago before the season started because they made a poor decision as a summary statement of what they did. I'm, I'm 
based on the information that I had, it was something that was unethical in nature, something that they just shouldn't have done, a decision that they shouldn't have made. And it's yet to be determined the long-term ramifications of their unwise decision. But in the short term, it's not out of the question to calculate that for some of these guys, the loss of hundreds, not thousands, but hundreds of thousands of dollars in salary alone. See, because there, many of these guys were Division I top-level officials. But it also, does it not mark character, mark reputation? Mark, I mean, we can just go make a big list of, of this poor decision. One wrong decision. One ill-advised action. Someone once told me how he counseled his son on a particular occasion. He says, says, son, don't do something that's going to land you on the front page of the morning newspaper. In other words, if I was to summarize what he was telling him, be, be, be careful how you walk. Take heed to what the Lord has to say. Walk circumspectly, I believe, is the biblical word in Ephesians. Be careful. You know, I was thinking about some of you, perhaps this morning, in your lives are a lot like this guitar that's out of tune. It's, it's really hard and difficult to, to hear um, this, a guitar that is playing out of tune. It's difficult. It's hard on the ears. But if your life this morning happens to be out of tune with the Lord, I want you to know that, that God has placed you here to be in tune with him. In fact, God sent his only son, the Bible says, down here to earth. That man might know what it is to be in tune with him. Jesus declared the father, John. Chapter 1, verse 18 said. When the people heard Jesus, they heard the Father. His words were always in tune with the Father's words. In John 17, Jesus prays to his Father before going to the cross. And in that moment, he prays that God would sanctify his followers by what? By the truth. And then he says, your word is truth. Jesus prayed that we might be sanctified, that we might be set apart here in this world by his word, which is truth. So here's the implication of that. If our lives are being lived out of tune, We are, to use Hananiah's terminology, we're doing foolishly. If you have no ears to hear the word of the Lord, you are a fool. I'm not calling you that. The Bible calls you that. You are a fool. 
operating on sinking sand. The Bible says that faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing by what? The word of God. Your life is nothing more than one of those stick houses built by the water just waiting for the next set of waves to come crashing by. If you are out of tune with the Lord. And you may be asking this morning, how can I get from being out of tune to being in tune? I want to be in tune. I don't know if I strummed it the right way. Sorry, David. You get the idea, though. How can I get to be like that guitar that, that makes a nicer sound than that one that's, oh, piercing to the ears? I just want to let you know this morning it's simple. It really, truly is simple. And it begins with repentance. Repentance. Acknowledging your sin that's kept you out of tune all of these days. Acknowledging it. Confessing. And turn by faith to the one who promises never to leave you nor forsake you. He's not going to. That's a promise. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Give him your heart. Love him all your days with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Be led by his Holy Spirit. Take him at his word. Live in dependence upon him. Live with confidence that what he's spoken, the play he's calling in his word, you can trust him. He has the power to carry out and perform what he's spoken. Live as though you really do trust him. And when he speaks, whether a word of confirmation, a word of instruction, a word of correction, or even, oh, we cringe when we hear it, but it's true. Sometimes the Lord does rebuke us. When we hear it, listen and receive it. Be grateful to him for teaching you once again teaching you once again church he doesn't have to do it but he does it teaching you once again what it is to stay in tune with him his eyes are searching to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him the question this morning is your heart in tune with him. I pray that it is. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for your word. This word that is truth. This word that shows us and teaches us how to stay and keep in tune with you. Father, it's my hope and my prayer for each one in this body. Young and old, male, female, all of us. That we would live our days courageously for you.
courageously from the biblical perspective of taking action that is informed upon hearing your voice. And that, Father, we would not just do it on a one-time occasion, but, Father, we would learn from this man Asa, learn from your word, that we would persevere all of our days, that we would endure all of our days, that we would keep walking with you this day and tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning. Every day, Lord, we'd be reminded to walk with you. We'd be reminded of these guitars. We'd be reminded of our lives and we'd be able to ask ourselves and assess each day, am I in tune with you? And if not, Lord, oh Lord, I desire to get right with you, to be in tune with you, to have this fellowship, to have this community with you and with your people. Father, I pray that it would be our heart's desire to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. May we walk together in these days ahead. And as we do so, may we be quick to show our gratitude for the one who alone grants us victory. May we not be prideful, but may we instead always be looking to you. You are the one who has secured our victory. You are the one who has secured our greatest challenge in life, this sin problem. You are the one who has granted us the greatest victory through what you did, through your son Jesus at the cross, and through the three days later, that empty tomb, we have victory. We have victory. Our victory is through Jesus Christ. And we say thank you for that this morning. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.